This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me this week from our crew of hosts around the Trek Film Network, from the Delta Quadrant, it is Mr. Tristan Riddell, or Tristan, we haven't we haven't pulled this out in a long time, right? International sex symbol, Tristan Riddell. How are you doing? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing great. It's, uh, yeah, we, it's, uh, we, we dust that, uh, that title off every once in a while. That's and, right. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> the ISS. The ISS. As you have long been called here on the network. Well, Tristan, you're usually talking about Voyager every week. And I'm really enjoying uh, the past month or so here of talking to everyone from our other shows about Enterprise. Because it's that show where, you know, pe- people tend to not talk about it as much when they're discussing other Star Trek on various shows. And... Today, we, we were talking about what kind of topic we could cover for Enterprise, and we came up with kind of an unusual one, which, which reminds me a little bit of a topic you guys might do on To The Journey, and this is alternative outcomes to the Zindi crisis. I, you know, that's something that I never really thought about before with um, To The Journey, about alternative outcomes to things, like what if they didn't make it home? You know, that, that would be abs- that would probably be... Like the first thing that's you guys to mind. never did that. And I thought you did that show before. No, no, no. I don't. I don't. I don't think we did. My goodness, All we right. just finished our seventieth show. Yeah. It's hard to keep them straight. Well, if you do that topic, you have to have me on because I'm one of the people who thought that Voyager should have been stranded in the Delta Quadrant at the end of the series. Well, absolutely. We're starting to do more crossover yeah. crossover episodes. We had the uh, the folks from. Uh, Earl Grey on there, and I think we're going to have um, our first real guest on there on there in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I think the only thing that we did that I can think of that was kind of alternate was what if Voyager did a movie? What would that right. what would that movie be like? Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was always a lot of fun for me. Yeah, definitely. Well, this one, you know, you guys do a lot of kind of abstract topics on to the journey, and so this one reminded me of that a little bit. Alternate outcomes of the Zindi crisis. And it also reminded me of To the Journey, because the first one that we're going to talk about here, because it's the one that we got to see on screen, is what we see in the episode Twilight, where 12 years in the future, Archer wakes up on SETI Alpha 5, which was a great callback, by the way, (laughs) and he's there with 6,000 surviving humans, and he's shacked up with T'Pol, and he finds out that the Zindi won the battle they won the war and 
all that's left of humanity is what's around him right here. And that reminds me of Through the Journey because that story was originally set up to be a Janeway Chakotay story on Voyager, but it ended up being an Enterprise story. What's really embarrassing is that I didn't know that. You and I talked about that on the other side of the room before, but it like I, I, I hate it when I don't know these these little nuggets of of, uh, of of facts when it comes to Voyager because as a host of a Voyager show, you'd think I'd know this. <laughs> but I started thinking about that. I started thinking about how the dynamic between Chakotay and Catherine would work. And so I'm assuming in this um in this script, in this in this Voyager script, it wouldn't be strict gender roles, like it would be uh Chakotay would be the one letting Janeway know, okay, well, we didn't make it home. Right. You know, like we're 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 shacked up together and I'm in love with you as even though, you know, the genders were reversed in, in Twilight, which was directed by Voyager's own Robert Duncan McNeil, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. He did great work on Enterprise. We actually had him on the show here early on to, to talk about directing Enterprise, in fact. Um, I, I guess in this scenario on Voyager, Chakotay would have said, and also, by the way, you remember that bathtub I made for you? Well, well, I happen to have it with me right now. And best of all, there is no monkey on City Alpha 5. <laughs> See, I was gonna, I was gonna go the opposite right there. Like, I was about to cut you off and say, and best of all, I brought the monkey. I brought him home. You should be thankful. See, that's the problem that you would have with my version of the script is that the monkey wouldn't be there, right? And for you, the monkey from Resolutions must always be in a story. Well, see, I feel like maybe that is that not the monkey but i feel like they, because <laughs> resolutions happened maybe that's why they felt like they didn't need to do Probably. twilight yeah you know because it was the themes are very similar i mean you know once you take out kind of not time travel well, i guess time travel um once you take that aspect out of it it's it's very two people on their own you know futures unknown futures lost they failed in some way yeah you know and then they start discovering feelings for each other I think you're probably right that that's maybe why they weren't able to sell the script to Voyager. The other thing about this episode that does remind me of the fact that it was originally a Voyager concept is the ending. Because the the sort of reset button at the end, the let's blow up the ship and then everything will reset itself, <laughs> reminds me of what they would do on Voyager. But it, it really reminds me of the end of Year of Hell. Yes, you uh um I was I was frightened you were going to bring up the uh the reset button. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> well, I'm not bringing well, it think... up to rag on Voyager. I'm just saying there's <laughs> no, a similarity there. In this episode and the end of Year of Hell, they really do feel similar. Yeah, Shar and I refer to that specific reset button in Year of Hell as the epic reset button, <laughs> the the reset button to end all reset buttons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the the outcome, though, here in this episode, yeah. which is that there are only 6,000 humans. I, mean, I assume there are some more humans scattered around in different places, but the Enterprise and the Intrepid and a couple of other Starfleet ships, they gathered this convoy and they they led the surviving humans to City Alpha 5. And I could just see a Star Trek series that goes from this point forward where every week you see 6,000 on the screen and then it says 5,997. And, you know, they're leading a ragtag fleet in search of that one planet called Earth. Wait, wait, no, they've done that show before, haven't they? 
I don't think so. I think this is pretty brand new, and and the Zindis keep following them, but the Zindis keep evolving and changing. Right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, they just won't leave them alone. I think <laughs> we need to we need to talk to CBS about this. I think so. Yeah. I, th- I think we've got a very original idea going right here. What do you think would happen though? So the outcome of the crisis and the situation is that humanity is almost destroyed. Could you see a scenario where humanity would rebuild itself? Because if you think about how the Vulcans were were a little bit scared of humans in Enterprise, which Saval eventually admits to Admiral Forrest, because humans recovered from a devastating war, World War Three, in just a century. Of course, six thousand humans living in in ship halls on a planet that's going to be destroyed in a hundred years, City Alpha Five. <laughs> Maybe things are not that hopeful there. Well, I feel like um, humans are very resourceful, especially in the 24th century, or um, excuse me, in the <laughs> in the future. I shouldn't say 24th century. Um, but I mean, I I know that I've heard to I've heard it I've heard the human race referred to this way before, but I cannot remember where or when. But they talked about the human race being like a virus like no if we're going to wipe them out Mm -hmm. we need to wipe all of them out Mm -hmm. because if you know one band gets out gets off or goes away or hides they will rebuild and they'll seek revenge or they'll just they'll multiply like rabbits and then all of a sudden they'll become a superpower again in the next 500 years and i feel like that's totally possible especially with the level of technology that we already have started out with because we're not starting off fresh it's not all the technologies wiped out. I mean, they have ships orbiting around, you know, the Seti Alpha. And I feel like we'd be able to leave and we'd also be able to detect the Seti Alpha 5, you know, um, we would know how that the, the star was going to explode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ac- absolutely. We'd, we'd understand how unstable the star is and then leave because we have that technology. Right. And I mean, at that time where Khan and his people didn't they were practically they were practically marooned with almost nothing buried alive <laughs> this is seti alpha 5 <laughs> i i just just once i want to be able to scream that in real life <laughs> and somehow make it real yeah. somehow mean it not just be a star trek nerd who just screams it out of nowhere i want somebody to say like i just want somebody normal to say to me so where where is seti alpha 5 again <laughs> maybe samsung will release a line of smartwatches called the seti alpha line and then someone will ask you <laughs> oh, which watch is that is that the seti alpha 4 and you'll go no this is seti alpha 5 I don't know. I, I'm I'm really stretching here to find a way you might work that into real life. Actually, no, I think that's probably more plausible than what I came up with. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I'd be down with that. All right. Well, so Twilight, this is the one we saw on screen, an alternate outcome. Mm-hmm. So let's alternate here. Tell me an alternate outcome that you have thought about for these any crisis. Well, okay, so here's the thing is that I've been thinking about this all week, and I just... You know, I'm not quite sure how to go about this and still maintain the timeline. Right. Well, I'm starting to sympathize with JJ a little bit here. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you don't need to maintain the timeline. Look, we ended up in 1940s with Nazis at the end of the Zindi crisis. So the timeline is is up for grabs <laughs> in Enterprise. Well, the first thing that came to mind and the, the, the first possible outcome for me 
is, you know, not none of it's good, but the first one that popped in my head was Earth is damaged even more so than what Florida was within the first Indy attack. They don't destroy Earth, but they make it almost uninhabitable. They do something to the atmosphere or they they damage it in some way. They they hurt the core or they slow something down or, or the weather is just screwed up. They do something. And so Archer and his crew, they almost save the day where they were able to stop them from destroying Earth in the short term. But in the long term, Earth is going to be uninhabitable for quite some time. And so the fourth season is them trying to deal with that, trying to find a new home or them trying to repair Earth. So they, they have multiple crews that go out they have multiple warp 5 projects and they're like okay we like we need to have some people focus on trying to fix earth and we need to have some people exploring alternate avenues and a thing that makes that harder is that the zindi still exist even though the weapon has been destroyed and the zindi is still a threat to humanity and to the universe and so people don't want to help us out for fear of mm. the zindi slapping them down right so there's pretty much like it's like the schoolyard bill bully saying okay you know like nobody talk to this nerd over here and earth is the nerd and that that was the, that was the first situation that popped in my head and i thought that would be quite a dramatic series of events that we could pull out but still have the overall arc that i enjoyed so much in season three so it would be like stunting the growth of humanity and yes therefore stunting the and possibly preventing the formation of the federation as well which is maybe a theme tonight because in a couple of my ideas as well one thing that i speculate on is even if humanity survived what how would it affect the future timeline as we know it because it could affect the formation of the federation you know the the vulcans and the andorians and the tellarites they're they've been spacefaring races for long long before humans were but it took humans because was it was it last i can't remember if it was daniel last week or philip the week before here on the show where they said like we're awesome humans it was like the theme of a lot of, of enterprise going out <laughs> and starting the federation uh, but it's kind of like they took the humans to bring everyone together so if the humans growth is stunted maybe these races just continue to fight with one another yeah absolutely and yeah you, you start to think about the the you know the horrible relationship between the andorians and the vulcans is that going to heat up again you know is that going to is that going to move forward and even though you know archer was able to work some sort of peace in a previous season you know without the formation of the federation going forward and without um you know humanity intact could that start a globe uh, an intergalactic war again and you know could the vulcans obliterate the andorians or vice versa and so then the hope for the federation is absolutely shattered without its founding members definitely absolutely yeah okay well here's another one that i have and i had this further down on my list but it kind of relates to yours so i'm going to bump it up this one is time travel to stop the test weapon I was thinking about, because remember, there's Crewman Daniels who keeps showing up here and there, who seems like he could be a little more helpful at times. 
if he wanted to be. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe this could be a situation where he could be a little bit more helpful because in, in Carpenter Street, which is another one I want to talk about, he gives Archer this box of temporal tags, which are really awesome. And I love to have those because I could like tag myself and I could go back a day and then I could get more work done. But I, I'm thinking here that if we've seen time travel used throughout Star Trek, and if they know that the Zindi weapon probe, after it cuts through Florida, Cuba, down into South America there, they decide, okay, we need to go back a day or a week and stop this weapon when it comes in. So either by Daniels helping them go back in time, although he doesn't have the ability to transport the entire ship. So that would be kind of be maybe a little bit of the tricky part, but they could figure it out though. Um, or maybe we just do a good old fashioned slingshot around the sun and we get down there and we go back a couple of days and we intercept the weapon probe as it's coming in and either destroy it or disable it. And the reason I say one or the other here is because if you destroy it, well, the Zindi are still out there. Like you said a minute ago, they're still out there and they're still mm-hmm. a threat. If we disable it, maybe then we can figure out where it came from and we can try to find some way to resolve this situation. But however it works out, my idea would be time travel to go back and and try to stop this series of events from being set into motion in the first place. I can I can see that happening. I can I can definitely see them trying that for for a while and trying to see where that would get them. And what it kind of reminds me of is I I'm horrible with episode names, uh, but the one where Degra and Archer are in a shuttlecraft together and they think that it's further in yeah. the future, and um, they have to keep a race against memory and starting over. Right. Yeah. I could see them kind of doing that where. They go back in time and they're like, ah, crap, we missed the window again. Trip, why did you have to go to the bathroom right now? Mm-hmm. And then they just do a whole, they have to they have to start over. And it's not, it's not exactly like Groundhog's Day, but kind of, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that would so be great. I, yeah, and instead of movie night, they would have Jeopardy night. And then everyone would, more and more each day, everyone's getting the questions. Everyone's getting the answers right before Alex gives them the question. And so they, they realize that they're in a time loop. <laughs> yeah, and like for some reason everybody's playing poker but they know what they're going to throw down. It's weird. <laughs> exactly. And this also reminds us of which Voyager episode? Year of Hell, going back and changing time over and over and over. So the epic reset button. All right. I will say this is probably the the least plausible of my ideas for alternate outcomes though because I think it might be stretching it certainly would not make for a good Star Trek prequel story, I think, because it relies too much on technologies and techniques that we're accustomed to in the later series. And also it might be stretching the the abilities of the technology of the 22nd century to to do something like slingshot around the sun. To go you mean like warp. transwarp beaming? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, what's next on your list? Well, the next one on my list is, it's a little bit of fan service for me. Um, I, I love Enterprise. I do. I love it. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I have the Blu-rays. 
I watched it when it was first on, and I love talking about it. I relish it when I get to talk to you about about Enterprise, and I get to branch off from Voyager. And um, there's so much about the show that works, but the thing is, there's there's you know there's kind of a lot that doesn't. Yeah. And I feel like maybe that's why fans and even Star Trek fans didn't really latch onto it as much as they have with other shows. But all that said, my kind of alternate future would be they destroy the weapon and you know they 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 like basically everything happens the way that it does happen at the end of season three but inter the enterprise is heavily damaged we're talking practically destroyed everything but a shell maybe the saucer section is the only thing that's still around and 80 percent of the crew dies 80 percent and including some of the main cast and so what happens was they save the day but they don't save themselves mm. and they crash land or you know they, they're they're in escape pods and whatever's left of the enterprise is floating around and and so archer survives and only a few other members of the of the senior staff survive and he's like okay we're we're not giving up we're not giving up the warp 5 program i don't want to take over on the columbia you know like i don't want to take over on the nx03 I I want the NXO one back. She's still up there. Let's fix her and let's 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 keep moving forward straight and steady. And so he gets whoever's left. I'm thinking to Paul Trip, and maybe that's it. It's just Archer to Paul Trip and Flocks, and they continue on and they rebuild the ship. And so the first couple episodes is just them gathering a new crew, rebuilding the ship, and we're pre- we're pretty much rebranding the series. We're we're having a new pilot essentially, and I can't remember what that's called. Like it's a new term coming about, you know, like communities, you know, doing it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they do with the ship is what they wanted to do in season five, where they add a secondary hull okay. to the bottom and make it look a little bit more like um, TOS Enterprise, right. you know, like a little bit more of that evolution. And so we have that at the beginning of season four. Well, a, a little bit later in season four, and then they go out and continue the mission again, but with a new crew, a new senior staff, and just a few key people. And they kind of, you know, they change the format of the show a little bit, knowing, okay, our numbers aren't great. They boosted in season three, but let's do things a little bit differently to maybe save the show, you know, on the behind the scenes kind of thing. So that that's my, uh, that's my second one. Interesting. I love the concept as a story. I think it, it speaks to the challenge of, of writing a show like Star Trek, where you you just can't kill off cast members and like the audience won't generally won't buy into something like that. I could see it as a, like a movie Mm. because it could be a standalone or maybe as a sequel, but you're going to get closure at the end and you're not really expecting something next week. Right. Then that kind of dramatic story could be very interesting because I love the idea that you do lose people in a conflict like mm-hmm. this, because it's, it's almost like everyone survives, right? It's almost just too neat and clean. Like in reality, everything they went through in the Zindi crisis, everything they went through in the Delphic expanse, there's probably no way that all of our main cast members are going to come out of that alive, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think that's what drove me to this, to this conclusion, to this alternate future is 
I I never loved Hoshi more than when she tried to kill herself when she was on the weapon. Mm-hmm. And that was that was an amazing moment. And think about how we would have felt if she actually did it. If she actually jumped and made it and sacrificed herself to save humanity. And then think about um Travis and he's he's on he's on the ship and his character had so so little to do and like almost no depth and and he's trying to steer the ship straight and everybody's abandoning ship and everybody's telling him he's like he's like no I'm not leaving my post I'm going to save this ship and what he does you know he pract- he saves as much of the ship as he can but he doesn't he doesn't survive and it just I don't know like I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan of just killing people willy-nilly just to boost up ratings right. you know like I I know um there there's got to be a happy meeting because you know I can't stand it in Game of Thrones where anybody can die and and who cares you know and that's that's why you're on the edge of your seat because oh you know maybe your favorite character dies well if your favorite character does die then why are you going to watch the show again right and then on the other side on more of the star trek side where everybody survives but if somebody does die they advertise it for a month and they say like one of these characters will not survive (laughs) (laughs) you know i remember the star trek communicator covers when deep space nine was wrapping up during the final chapter of deep space nine and there's one cover I still have it around here. I think it's blue and it's got big yellow type across the front cover. It's like, who lives? Who dies? And of course, they have so many characters on that show that that uh, people could die. And, and I think likely some people do and then some people disappear. But it, but it gave some weight to the conflict in that case. Yeah. And, and it's not that no one dies in the third season of Enterprise there actually are, um, I believe there are 27 crew members of the Enterprise who die, but none of them are the main cast. None of them are, are the senior crew. Yeah. Um, most of them are Mako. And it, it does just doesn't have the same impact on you. It's kind of like in Lost when they brought people on four episodes before they died. <laughs> right. Just so they could bring somebody on to die. Right. All right. Well, I, I think it's an interesting idea, and it's the kind of show that I I think would be really, really interesting, but would never be made in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> no, yeah. and I think that, that it's such a pity because they could have rebranded themselves for season four, and if any show could go against the grain of Star Trek, it should have been Enterprise. Well, yeah, it should have been because of the time it was being made and just the fact they really were trying to chart new territory, but... Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I mentioned Carpenter Street a little while ago. And the next one that I want to throw out there is what if the Zindi reptilians had succeeded in unleashing that toxin on Earth in 2004 Detroit and wiped out humanity at the beginning of the 21st century? What would the entire future of the galaxy as we know it from our point forward look like uh yeah well i mean it's it's hard kind of hard to have a show after that one um <laughs> you know like true. if, if the, well remember you know, I'm, not, if they I'm not necessarily succeed. writing the next part of enterprise i'm just saying <laughs> what would happen in universe if this were the outcome of the zindi crisis i'm trying to remember it's been a while since i've seen that episode but was it the entire race that they were going to wipe out or was it just a significant percentage 
Well, that's a good question. Whether they're trying to just cripple humanity, like knock them back to the Stone Age by disease, or whether they're trying to actually completely wipe everyone out. As you said earlier, there's that view of humanity that you've got to wipe them all out because if there are any left anywhere, that's going to be a problem. Of course, at this point, you know, we we do have people living on the moon. We do have people living on Mars. So wiping out Earth alone is not necessarily going to get the job done. But let's just suppose they did manage to, to decimate Earth with this toxin. And so technologically, we're thrown back. And so we're not going to be a threat to them. We're not going to be able to bring together the Federation. What do you think about this? Well, I've, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, there would, there would have to be some sort of compromise in order to move forward. I mean, there would have to be, if the Zindi succeeded, um, it would have to be, they didn't succeed all the way. I mean, they, they only got one blood type. They didn't get all of the blood types, you know, something like that, where they, um, you know, Archer and DePaul was able to stop them, but not all the way. And so I think a way for that to work is if they only got one blood type and how that affects society and Archer and DePaul are still able to go back to the Enterprise. But for some reason, the Enterprise, because let's let's throw some techno babble out here, because the temporal bridge was created between the Enterprise <laughs> and the 24th century Detroit, um, the Enterprise was uh, saved from the effect of the of the time bubble ever expanding outward and changing things. And so that way, the Enterprise has to deal with the Earth that is today that doesn't have that one blood type and we could see what that means on a, on a species level, on a biological level, on a technological level. And we could see a very different human race, maybe a harsher human race. Um, not necessarily in the, I'm getting kind of in the realm of, um, dark, darkly territory. Um, but you know, I, it would have to be something like that because if if the Zindi succeed, then they succeed, and then that's the last episode of Enterprise. <laughs> right. So there's got to be there's got to be some give and take. Yeah, that's interesting. So they are protected, yeah, and then they have to deal. See, that can make an interesting TV show as well. I again, I don't know if Star Trek fans would buy into it, but it would make an interesting story. And then you could have the eventually they have to go back. They have to go back to the 20th century to retrieve a sample of B-positive blood and bring it back (laughs) because that's the only way they're going to save humanity. So, Paul, what does this blood look like underwater? (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Well, what else do you have? Oh, well, see, okay, my third one which is my last one, uh, isn't very good. It's, um, <laughs> we're just, we're just letting just, you, letting you know now, everyone, this is not going to be just, very good. So hang on. Just people are going to like this. It's, um, no, I think like what I had was the things. Okay. The, the, the TV shows that I thoroughly enjoy more and more. And as I get older are character pieces and, you know, I love like, you know, breaking bad, was is an was an amazing tv show and it also had high octane moments a lot of action but at its heart it was about the arc 
of Walter White and his change. And if you look at Mad Men, there's no action. A lot of the episodes are really boring, but it's about the characters interacting with each other. And right. so what kind of brought me to this conclusion was I wanted to see, okay, I, I wanted season three to end the way that it ended, but get rid of the whole Nazi Germany thing and get rid of the whole temporal thing. And we see a season four that is much more reflective on the effect that it has on the world and on the human race and losing bits of Florida and South America and Cuba. And, um, and also I want the enterprise crew to feel that a little bit more. And I know, I know it was addressed. I, I know it was addressed in season four, but I want them to take a little bit more time off. And also uh, I want them to take some more time off from space and regroup and try to figure out, do we need to go forward? Should we be going forward? And like I said, they addressed it in season four, but I wanted more of it. And I wanted more crew to drop off. I, I like not just to Paul. I wanted I wanted people to like, are we going to get everybody back? I mean, why isn't Flocks going home? You know, things, things of that nature. And also I wanted so desperately for everyone to address all the negative things that happened in season three. Like towards the end when Archer stole that warp coil, I wanted Archer to go find those people and either replace a warp coil or submit to their legal process and see that episode. So I I basically wanted more overflow yeah. from season three into season four. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I hadn't really thought about things like him going back and following up on things like stealing the warp core. That's... um. Interesting point, because if you're fighting for the principles of humanity, then maybe you need to go back and, and address those instead of just seeing it as collateral damage like it was. But And then as far as like recovering from what happened to them, yeah, I agree that you really would need more time off from, you know, be back on Earth and, and try to, to cope with it, which is the same thing with the next generation too. You know, the, the fact that after what happened with the Borg in the best of both worlds, it's one episode, family, let's go back. Um, Picard rolls around with his brother in the mud and everything's okay now. Of course, we know everything's not okay, but they don't really, really call back to that until you get into the movies and you, you realize that this experience still really affects Picard. So you need a little bit more there too. Yeah, that's um another interesting idea. And it seems all all of our takes here seem to to deal with how does mankind rebuild after the catastrophe, right? We don't have yeah. many scenarios in which mankind um, comes out on top, unless it's the one where they do stop the weapon, go back in time, as I mentioned, stop the weapon, and then move forward, and everything's okay, and the Federation still comes about, you know, as you would expect. Well, I, I have one more myself, and this revolves around the Sphere Builders, an element of Season 3, which I feel was... I don't necessarily feel like they came up with it halfway through because the Spheres are there from the very, very beginning. But mm -hmm. they waited too long to start developing who the Sphere Builders themselves were and why they were doing this in the first place. And ultimately, they... We're building that network of spheres so that they could refashion our space so that it's habitable to them, 
because they needed to move over. And I think in any scenario in which the Zindi destroy Earth, it becomes possible for the sphere builders to successfully complete this mission. Because the, the whole thing, you know, the sphere builders are playing the Zindi to wipe out humanity because they know that in the future, humanity is going to stop them from uh, finishing the, their goal of converting our space and they, they have to get rid of humanity. So if humanity's out of the picture, whether they're destroyed, whether they're crippled, uh, maybe in, as in many of our scenarios here, they're focused internally on rebuilding civilization and recovering, the sphere builders are not going to have much resistance, perhaps. And it can kind of go two ways. The Zindi, if the Zindi never uncover the real purpose of the sphere builders and the deception, they might just continue to play along and then the sphere builders wipe out the Zindi. Kind of easy. Or if it plays out as it did on the series where the the council becomes fragmented and they become very suspicious of the sphere builders, even if they succeed in destroying Earth, they may then fight back against the sphere builders. Then there's also the possibility that other races, like the Klingons or the Romulans or whoever, could come into the picture and start fighting back against the sphere builders as well. So what what do you see as possibilities there? And what are your thoughts on the sphere part of that story arc in the first place? Well, I um I, I liked I liked the spheres. I liked that it was a mystery and I liked um how we found it out and I liked how it was developed. But I I I'd have to do, agree with you that I think it would have benefited if it came around a little earlier. And I also like how scientifically accurate the idea of another universe having completely different laws of physics yeah. is. Because um like an I listened to a lot of Neil deGrasse Tyson lectures and whenever he's asked about alternate universes or other universes, he says, he's like, I never want to be the first person to go there sure, <laughs> because it could be, you know, like you're, you could turn inside out, you know, like in galaxy quest or, you know, you could, you know, not be able to breathe. You know, it's, there's so many different types of things. Your molecules could scatter everywhere. And I love how they needed this long process in order to do it. They're like, mm-hmm. we're going to invade your your universe, but we have to make it habitable for ourselves. I, I I love that concept and I love that idea because there's so much of Star Trek and also so much of science fiction where they focus so much on the door, on crossing through right. the door, opening the door, punching a hole through space and time. It's- this one is, we can cross over, but we need time to alter it so that we can actually exist. Right, right. It's like Species 84721 Voyager. They live in fluidic space, but yet they can come through and start boarding ships and their ships can fly mm-hmm. in our space and, you know, everything's fine. Now, now granted, that storyline on Voyager would not have been very interesting if they had needed to introduce Species 8472 in Season 3 and then let them kind of get space ready for the next five seasons before they could come through. It wouldn't have been very interesting, but... But here it is, you can do it a little bit because you are doing a season-long story arc and you can, Mm -hmm. it's still compressed time, but you can talk about the fact that this is an ongoing process. It's been going on for a long time, still going to take a long time for them to finish, but they eventually would. And um, 
I just wonder, like, I, I just picture, like, in that outcome, the everything we know of Star Trek would be gone because the space would actually be reconfigured. So none of the races in Star Trek could live in this galaxy, in this universe anymore. I like your idea of having uh, the Klingons or the Romulans come and fight them. I think that would have been really interesting to see and, you know, push them back because Earth couldn't quite do it. And I love that we got a sneak peek of that with the Enterprise J when we saw all the races coming together to fight the Sphere Builders. And I think that would have been an interesting thing to see where we get to see that universe a bit more where, oh, crap, they're still coming um, the expanse is getting bigger, and so we can't do it on our own. So we need to we need to work on diplomacy a little mm-hmm. bit more than we have been, and get everybody together. I think that specifically would make a great season or a, a longer arc um, to battling the sphere builder specifically, and get and not have the Zendi in there, mm-hmm. or at least that. have them minimally where it's not the focus of the of the season like it was in season three. Right, right. And I think it's interesting to think about how the the Star Trek universe could have evolved differently. It makes me think of there's a novel by Kim Stanley Robinson who wrote the the Red Mars, Blue Mars, Green Mars series of books, which is really um, popular. But there's a novel that he wrote called The Years of Rice and Salt, which is about how the Black Plague wiped out Europe, 99% of the population of Europe. And so modern history was dominated by Muslim cultures and Chinese. It's just an interesting view of like an alternate history of like this one thing happened in history causes the entire future to take a different path where the world still exists. So in this case, you know, the Star Trek universe still exists. But as as the Black Plague wiped out humans in the years of rice and salt, the Zindi wipe out humans in Star Trek. And so then there is a galaxy and Alpha Quadrant, anyway, Alpha Beta Quadrant, Mm -hmm. where maybe the Klingons are dominant. And maybe there's a Klingon, as as weird as it sounds to say right now, maybe there's a Klingon-Romulan alliance. And they are like the Federation, and they're the dominant force, and everyone falls underneath their umbrella. And um, it could be interesting. It's an interesting um, exercise, anyway, to, to picture Star Trek in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Alternate alternate history and alternate future is uh is is always a fascinating genre and I'd love to see it more in the uh in the Star Trek universe. I think that's uh something that Star Trek novels could tackle and tackle well. Yeah. All right. Well, we've run through all of our possible outcomes. I think it would be interesting Tristan to hear from our listeners and hear what alternate outcomes they might have for the Zindi crisis. So, if you're listening, and you have an idea of how things could have played out differently, let us know. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter, of course. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me and, and Tristan. But you can also go to our website, trek.afilm slash contact. Choose to send a message to Warp 5 and tell us what you think about alternate outcomes to the Zindi crisis. And please also, if you want to find another way to not just contact us, but start a conversation on the website, go to trek.fm slash forums. And there you can post a topic or you can go to the show page and just talk about alternate future, alternate history or how what you think. And other people can chime in as well. Most definitely. Yeah. You know, there was just the news this past week, Tristan, that StarTrek.com, they're closing down their discussion boards 
in May. They're actually what? locking them about a week from now, and they're removing them from the site in May, which I, I found is an interesting move, although I do understand some of the reasoning behind it with uh, their social media efforts and all. But yeah, we do have our forums, as you say, trek.fm slash forums. So uh, come over and talk to us there. Well, Tristan, thanks for sitting in with me today and, and talking about this abstract topic. I'm going to wrap up the show here, but before I let you go, tell everyone where they can find you around the network and also on the interwebs. Well, you can find me every week giving you a fantastic show about Star Trek Voyager called To the Journey with my amazing co-host, Charlene Schmidt. You can find her on Twitter at OhTheProfanity, and you can also find me on Twitter at the Insane Robin. Excellent. You guys both still crack me up with your usernames on Twitter. So. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, we're we're not gonna. It's not. I'm not gonna give you like T. Riddell and then random number, and she's not gonna <laughs> give you, you know, like Char S. Um, you know, and then the year she was born. You know, it's so uh, we we try to get creative over at TTJ. That's right. All right. Well, thanks again for joining me today, Tristan. Well, thanks for having me. I can't wait to be back. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed the discussion today, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network over the past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Montgomery Scott. It's really just there to tell a story that they couldn't tell with Kirk or Spock or McCoy. This is true. An episode where Kirk is framed for the murder of a hooker would be... Right. Awesome. Completely different. It but. would be awesome, but... Earl Grey. Ships of TNG Part 2. Commander Riker, why would you protect the inferior <laughs> ship? I want its treasure. I want the other ship. Darren, how long have you been keeping that one in your pocket? You yeah, I like tell that. us. That was good. Do a Ferengi. The Ready Room. Scientific method. She tells the the the, guy, the woman that comes on the bridge, and she's like, "Well, it doesn't, you know, it it doesn't matter to me. I'm gonna drive into these stars. It's gonna be great." Like it's like <laughs> I'm just like the orb. Till death do us part. His are, are are very quizzical in nature. They they're of the scientist. They're of the somebody who who is willing to accept. Okay, where what is this reality? What's going on? She's just all like, tell me what to do right now. You know, like, she, right. She, there's nothing spiritual about her. To the journey! One versus doctor's orders. I was working full-time on top of being a full-time student, and I... Listen, I don't, I don't want to hear your excuses, okay? I don't want to hear them. <laughs> like, life was happening, and... A great man once told me, if something's important to you, you make the time. Warp 5. Undeveloped Enterprise Stories. But the idea here is that Porthos would become intelligent and would be the only member of the crew capable of communicating with a canine alien. So even Hoshi apparently couldn't figure out this dog language. Commentary, Trek stars. The full Shimera. I, I loved, I'd love to see an X-Files one shot with Scully and, and the hookers. With you know? Scully and the Hookers? Yeah. That's a great name for a band. Call it Scully and the Hookers. <laughs> Melodic Treks. Five musical favorites. You know, I don't completely hate the opening theme. I, I just really think that Archer's theme should be the opening credits. Continuing Mission. Star Trek Axelar with Alec Peters. 
that's what we posit. We say it makes sense that at this point we know it's from from TOS. They're not integrated, so our crews are not integrated, and and we make a point of that. We don't avoid it. We make a point of it. And in Prelude to Axnor, they talk about that. Literary treks. IDW Alien Spotlight Part One. Well, Chris, it's okay because they can see the Romulans from their house. That's right. So, from space, you know, you betcha. You know, that's okay. I can see the Romulans from my uh, from my starship. It's gonna be fine. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in a wide variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can download or stream from our website. And while you're on iTunes, drop by and check out our new home in the iTunes store, where you'll find our dedicated artist page and section. And there, we're able to group and highlight our shows and episodes to help you find past content that you may not have heard before. It's hard for me to believe, but we are approaching a thousand episodes here on Trek FM. So there's a wealth of interviews and discussion waiting for you there. And the quickest way to get it is to simply go to iTunes.com slash Trek FM. And we really thank Apple for extending an invitation to us to become a key content provider and to have this wonderful section in the store. And also, while you're over on iTunes, if you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and leave us a star rating and a written review. We really do love to hear from you, and it also helps other Enterprise fans find the show as they're searching for Star Trek content in iTunes. If you'd like to send your thoughts on the show today, as I mentioned in the closing there with Tristan, if you have ideas for alternate outcomes to the Zindi crisis, for example, or really anything that you want to talk about related to Enterprise or Star Trek, you can send us feedback by going to our website at trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to us by email. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to read your feedback and comment on it here on the show. Also, you can send us a voicemail through the website. There's a button there in the sidebar. And as Tristan mentioned, we do have forums at trek.fm slash forums. And we'd love for you to drop by there as well and talk to us and other listeners about Enterprise and Star Trek. If social media is your thing, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And you'll find us on Twitter where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek under username trekfm. If you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, I do a couple of shows with Matthew Rushing. We do literary treks every week where we talk about Star Trek books and comics and we interview authors. Matthew and I also do The Orb together, which is a lot like Warp 5, but we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. I have an interview show about science and social issues and creative things that are loosely connected to Star Trek or inspired by Star Trek, and that's called Matter Stream. And then I also have another show called Continuing Mission, which is all about Star Trek fan series and independent productions. In addition, you'll find me, along with other hosts from all around the network, including Tristan from time to time, on The Ready Room, where we talk about Star Trek news and all five live-action Star Trek series. We rotate through the series on that show, and we just put out an Enterprise show about two weeks ago that featured Larry Nemechek and Jose Munoz, and we talked about Broken Bow 
especially from a behind-the-scenes perspective, what was going on in the studio. Jose was Rick Berman's personal assistant, and of course Larry was around the set and the studio to you know, catalog everything that was going on over the years as well. So uh, check that out as well. That episode is called There Isn't Much Corn in Oklahoma. And uh, find out behind the scenes of Broken Bow. Before I let you go, I'd also like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show. That's audible.com, the best source of audiobooks you'll find online. They have over 150,000 titles waiting for you. They have hundreds of new titles coming out every single week. If there's a new release that you're looking forward to reading, you can probably get that in audio format on Audible as well and listen to it unabridged when you're in your car, on the train, exercising, cooking, whatever it is you do. It's a great way to read all the books that you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. And they also have a lot of great Star Trek books as well. And as a Trek of Film listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with the trial to see just how great Audible is. And the way you do that is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up. Choose any book you want, absolutely free. Try it out. And if at the end of the trial you decide that Audible's not for you, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that audiobook. But if you love podcasts, you're going to love Audible. I've been using Audible for 14 years. I have no plans to stop anytime soon. I love getting my books from them, and I know you will as well. So again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Go check it out, and we thank Audible for their support of Warp 5 and the network. We'd also like to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. Now, we tell you about this album every week on the show here. It really is a great album. The smooth jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me that we use here on the show comes from Andrew's album, and he's also got nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek waiting for you. So go pick it up in iTunes or on Amazon. It's a really great album there by Andrew. I really think you're going to love that as well. And there's one more thing you can do to help us keep Warp 5 coming to you each week, if you'd like, and that is to make a donation of the network. Our shows are free for you to download, but they're not free for us to produce or distribute. And your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring everything to you each week. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find different contribution levels to choose from. And we also have some great original alien illustrations there for you as a thank you if you like, or if you simply want to make a donation, you can do that as well. We really appreciate your help. So again, go check it out, trek.fm slash donate. And we really, really do thank you for any support that you can give us and helping keep our Star Trek discussions coming to you every week. Well, once again, thanks to Tristan for joining me today. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. And join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>